This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. And I'm Keith Baker. And uh, Wayne couldn't make it tonight. He had something come up that interfered, and Scott was supposed to make it, but we haven't heard from him, so he maybe he'll could hop be, in. He could be caught up in traveling. True, which brings us to this episode's topic. Uh, in this episode, we'll be tracing the red line across the map as we explore all the ways in which adventurers in Eberron travel during their adventures. Uh, I think collectively, we've all had a good amount of experience with traveling for the past several months, given the holidays and such. So it's a very <laughs> way too much, topic I'm to afraid. Yeah. Yes, way too much. I, I am myself right now uh, visiting my, my hometown of uh, Ithaca, New York. So and tomorrow morning, I will be traveling all the way across uh, the United States. So it's wow. fresh in my mind. Nice. Yeah. And I think uh, Scott just recently had uh, some relocation travel going on as well. So uh, so with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I'd like to start with, Keith, you wrote an article uh, way back in the early days of, of Eberron uh, that was titled Heroic Journeys. It's one of the Dragon Shards articles on the Watsi archive site. Um, I mm -hmm. think some really good points in there that we'll, we'll kind of expand on uh, that you brought up were things like, you know, riding the red line, uh, you know, basically that, that red line in Indiana Jones, you know, that traces mm -hmm. across the map. Um, uh, it's all about the journey, which is sort of like the Lord of the Rings type of experience. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, let's uh, face it, else? Fellowship Fellowship of the Ring, well, in fact, you know, pretty much most of Lord of the Rings is about them getting where they're going. And it's only really oh, in yeah. Return of the King that it suddenly is about the destination. Right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's also, there's an element of keeping track of time, which I thought was kind of interesting as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's also, I, I know you didn't have a hand in writing uh, Explorer's Handbook. Um, That's true. As well, but uh, but I think there was some pretty good information in there. They had like, uh, especially like timetables and distances and costs and so on, and how certain elements work uh, with regards to travel. Um. So I I thought it was a worthwhile book, at least just to look at mm -hmm. and reference for for some inspiration there. To so, me, it's 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 all about reference, and it's it's the as we'll talk about in more detail as we go forward. It's it's all that you can have charts and you can have timetables and things like that. But to me, as a game master, you should always go with what's what's good with the story. How long right, do you right. really want it to go? Speed of plot. But anyhow, speed of plot. Yes, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why is travel so important, Ebron, in your mind? Like what what are what are some of the key things there? Well, one of the things, and certainly looking to the heroic journeys dragon shard, you know, that it is calling out is definitely one of the inspirations for Eberron is pulp adventure. And, you know, again, Indiana Jones is a, a classic example of that. And uh, one of the, the sort of elements of that, it's, it's the sort of contrast between two very different styles of play you can have in Eberron. And ones where you get that Kalistan campaign, you know, I mentioned in the uh, Wayfinder's Guide where we're just in a gritty, bad part of Sharn, and that is the campaign is dealing with gang wars and dealing with power struggles. And we may never leave Sharn in our entire campaign. On the other hand, you have the sort of clifftop adventurer where it is, it's Indiana Jones, you know, today, 
Halas Martin is trying to find the Orb of Dolmazur in the ruins of the Colsier Dominion in Zendrick. But you know, next week he's going to be off in the deepest Sarlona, uh, you know, exploring the Crystal Towers of the Inspired. And the week after that, he's going to be in the midst of the Demon Wastes, struggling with a tribe. You know, it's basically Eberron has a dramatic sort of wealth of different types of places to explore. And part of, uh, you know, the thing you can do is to, to embrace that and give your players sort of dramatically different experiences. You know, again, the difference between having an adventure in the Demon Wastes and having one in, hey, the Frostfell. You know, it lets you present players with a completely different set of challenges and, and you know, a certain, some of the element of exploration that exploration itself can be a fun experience. Yeah, and, and, and I think what's really cool about that is in a lot of settings, uh, traditional fantasy settings, like travel is, mm-hmm. it's, a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's burdensome, right? And it takes a long time just to get to, you know, across a small portion of a map. Um, and mm-hmm. with so many interesting places to explore in this setting, just that from the GM and player perspective, from the gameplay experience perspective, I, I think the idea that that travel is so achievable and so easy, relatively speaking, of course, it, it well, allows for that exploration in in terms of play, not just in, in in the world itself. And and I think that that's part of the point of arguing that the general flavor of Eberron is somewhat more modern than the typical fantasy mm-hmm. game. Uh, and, you know, as we've said, it's not quite 20th century, but it is the difference between, you know, are you taking a wagon train? You know, is this the Lewis and Clark expedition? And, you know, it's going to be months and we're all going to get dysentery and die. Or can I hop on a plane and, you know, get there in six hours? And that Eberron definitely was designed to have, you know, between airships, between House Orion. Uh, you know, we wanted it to be easy for players to get to exotic places. And this comes back to something we've talked before about pulp adventure, uh, is when you're embracing the pulp, it's, we don't want you to just be looking at a ruined temple. We want you to be looking at the first temple of Orion built by the giants in, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the first age of, you know, it's that, uh, we, you, you want to have these truly sort of epic places that you're dealing with. And it's not very logical to say, and they all happen to be in this tiny space, but no one's ever bothered to deal with them, you know, before. Right. Why would you have this ruin right next to Sharn that nobody's ever, ever looked into, but this ruin in the depths of the jungles of Zendrik, you know, hidden by the traveler's curse for you know, right. tens of thousands of years. Okay. That can happen. Yes, and exactly. uh, it lets those players be, you know, again, whether it's we're the first people to come to this place in a thousand years or whether it's just, uh, as I said, you know, in terms of environment, you know, we're going to go somewhere that is incredibly uh, sort of amazing in concept, but that, again, wouldn't be in Sharn. Uh uh, the demon wastes keep, you know, keep coming back to me just because, you know, the d- demon wastes, the Mornlands, you know, these are places in Corvair itself that are just very uh, alien and inhospitable uh, that allow for a very different type of adventure than you would have anywhere near Sharn. Right, 
Right. In a typical wilderness of a fantasy setting. Right. And and coming back to travel, you know, that also fits to that point of of a sense further uh, of Corvair as a very cosmopolitan uh, nation where you can encounter all sorts of different people that in Sharn or Roat, you know, I mean, you can encounter, uh, you know, monks from Adar or bizarre, you know, dr- uh, drow refugees from Stormreach or, you know, whatever it is, because mm. it's conceivable that those people could make that journey. And right. so know, it allows you to sort in... of... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah. So you know, you're getting that sort of cross-cultural pollination in in in, in different areas of the of the of the continent. Um, you know, I think too when you consider the role of the dragon marked houses and the industries that they mm-hmm. provide, and the fact that there there is some trade among them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, transport as a you know travel fulfilling the need for transporting materials and goods and services is also important and i think that uh in eberron you know having a ways and means of doing that um is, is it gives some a sense of reality to the setting as well well and that's exactly the point is coming back to the dragonmark houses you know this was one of the points in the beginning is that each house controls a segment of the economy and that this is something mm-hmm. that gives them great power. And transportation is obviously a very, uh, a very significant part of the economy. And you know whether it is translating to our world, the railroad, shipping, uh, things mm-hmm. like that. You know that's a huge change to a world to have something like a railroad or a lightning rail. And even looking at the setting itself. It's one of the big changes, you know, the fact that that there is instability in the world is the fact that until very recently, essentially Lirindar governed the seas and Orion governed the land. And, you know, if right. you're taking something across the land, you're dealing with Orion. And if you're taking something across the ocean, well, then you're dealing with Lirindar. And airships have suddenly broken that barrier. Suddenly Lirindar is now the quicker way. To get something, you know, between yeah. Sharn and, uh, uh, you know, Fairhaven. Uh, and that's definitely something for people to explore, right. um, which kind of brings us to, to, you know, well, let's talk about how do you get from place to place in Eberron. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think an interesting point about airships, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, is that they are relatively new still. Um, that's the so thing. That's, that is, is a very yeah. disruptive technology right now. In the setting. And that's the thing that's often overlooked is often people just hear there's airships and just assume they're ubiquitous and you know they're just everywhere. And the point is airships have not been around for that long. They really are supposed to be very new technology, essentially. And uh, we do call out in a couple of different uh, sort of books, you know, part of the idea is an airship, it needs a Lirandar pilot. Uh, they're relatively few in number. You know, there aren't a lot of them uh, and that they do uh, basically require these docking towers to use effectively. So part of the point is that you can't get an airship to a small village. You know, airships don't go everywhere. They are a more efficient way to get between the major cities. But you can't just find an airship anywhere and you can't take it anywhere you want. 
Um, but nonetheless, airships have always been that sort of point of saying Eberron is a place where magic is constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Where 30 years ago, we didn't have airships. Now we do. What are things going to look like 30 years from now? Right. That uh, And will Orion try and basically sabotage them or something like that? That would certainly be right. a, a path someone could try and go is, is can they somehow bring down the airship industry? Uh, and, and so part of the thing is you don't have to go there as a game master. You can just say, oh, there always happens to be an airship when you want one. Um, but it is intended to be a point where you can explore the idea of, of that this is a new technology, even just the, the possibility that it's not yet 100% reliable. Just saying. Right. Whereas so, by contrast, the lightning rail uh, is – the whole point is the lightning rail is something that has been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, in the lightning rail for, again, any listener who doesn't know, you know, an airship is, uh, an elemental airship. It is, it uses bound elementals in the mark of storms to, uh, propel a ship through the air. Uh, the lightning rail is very much closer to our traditional, uh, railroad, but again, it uses a bound elemental to drive, a train of carriages, uh, across, what are called conductor stones, but essentially it's along a path. You know, you have to have a path of conductor stones. So again, uh, it only goes along a very specific route, uh, and it is much cheaper than the airship. It's the sort of you know standard way to get places uh, for people, but the paths are limited, um, and and you know that again means that we have things like you can't cross the Mornland in the Lightning Rail because. Uh, because the the rails were destroyed, right? And we also have that, that brings up a good point too. Because as you mentioned, lightning rail was the you know the primary means, the best means of getting you know people and goods transported across the continent. But you've got mm-hmm. the Mornland, which you know the the, line, the lines have been de- destroyed. Um, the White Arch Bridge, which was another means to go from west to east, was destroyed there in the last war. Mm-hmm. And now they've lost that capability. And there's no okay. means to to repair either of those two things. And again, speaking to the airships coming into play, well, guess what the airships can do? They can go west to east very right. easily. And airships um, and so, sea travel, of course. And so sea this travel, is another right. thing that that makes Lirindar very important. Right. So, so. they've they've we, you could play up the fact that Lirindar has a uh, an edge over Orion at this point in time. You know. Um, oh, for certain, and goes. and. And to me, that's actually a very big part of, of the Lirindar story. And we're sort of diverging from the, the sheer this is what travel means to you to almost more what's going on in the background of the world. But this is the point to me where the balance of power between Lirindar and Orion has dramatically changed and that Lirindar, you know, as the, the core of our house, you know, the house of half elves, uh, you know, this sort of growth of power is a big thing for them that they're they're trying to leverage uh, in right. some ways. And again, this is the kind of plot line that you as a game master can completely ignore, you know, if uh, if you don't find it interesting. But it is uh, something that you can have in the background of just the, right. the fact. Think of this as you know, again, the, the sort of start of the transition from the power of, of railroads to the power of air. Right. 
for now until technology changes things. Well, so, and of course yeah. the next, the next step up is so, uh, Lirindar controls air travel and sea travel. Orion controls land travel, but they also control teleportation. And yes. we'll talk about that later, you know. So this is sort of the point of Orion still has the ultimate edge of if it ha absolutely has to get there, you know, immediately. Immediately, right. They're the only people who can do that. Right. Now, again, there's a lot of limitations on teleportation and, and we can get to that a little later, but it is still they have the trump card. Right. You know, and so that's a thing to to never never rule Orion out. Because if they can figure out, you know, the next step of travel is for them to improve teleportation. And it was a choice we originally made in developing Eberron was to say that you didn't have just a casual use teleportation network, that that wasn't a standard means of travel. Mm -hmm. But teleportation circle, you know, this comes back to the fact that only up to third level spells are supposed to be uh, sort of standard. And I forget where teleportation circle comes in, in fifth edition. So I may be shooting myself in the foot here. Um, but basically certainly in the past teleportation circle was a higher level spell, but it right. is something where you could see in 30 years, do they get a standardized network of, of teleportation circles around? And that would definitely be an Orion industry. Right. Um, yeah. Teleportation circle comes in at fifth level. Just for the okay, that's what I thought. I just suddenly, yeah. I was suddenly sort of, whoa, wait, did they change that? Uh, yeah. But, but that's the point: is as a fifth level spell, it is something in the Five Nations where this is a service you can find. This is something we do know exists, but it is the highest end. It is rare. It is mm -hmm. expensive. Right. Uh, and and so the point is. If you if you're not just taking a wagon, the the lightning rail is the standard method of long distance travel. It is the most affordable. It is yes. you know what the most people use. Airships are the you got a little more money to throw around. You know essentially it's sort of traveling first class, um, but it is also more limited where you can go. Teleportation is the sort of wow only adventurers are going to be able to afford this kind of thing or kings or you know things like that. Right. It, it, it's there, but it is in no way a standard. Uh, thing people do, and again, it's not available in very many places. Yeah, this, that's not an everyday thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the merchant is coming up and saying, "Hey, teleport me to this," you know, to row it. And, right, exactly. You know, it's it's basis. the the game. Yeah, the game master can drop it on the table and say, "Oh my goodness, you know, this is so important that such and such is has hired a Sibiris heir to to do this, you know, for you." But that's a sign that ooh, ooh, this is a big deal. We're teleporting there for goodness sakes, you know. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and dive into uh, how GMs can can think about travel in their campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, and and we touched on this a little bit with regards to you know the red line versus you know the the the, the story is the journey kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess that's that's really uh, a critical thing to think about is you know what what is important about this travel what in, in your campaign or whatever it is that you're you're running. Uh, is it the journey? Is it the experience of traveling across the land and what happens along the way and all the trials and the you know tribulations and, and so on? Or is it simply let's get to this awesome exotic location where the action actually happens? And, um, and one way to think about that, you know, is if this was a movie, 
if you were watching your story play out as a movie, how much time would we spend on it? Right. You know, the whole point of the red line is we spend, you know, 15 seconds getting them from place to place because, again, it's not about the journey. On the other hand, if you were watching this in a movie, do you think you'd take a quarter of the movie to cover cover this travel time? Uh, and, you know, there's lots of ways to go in between that. But carry on. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Like there might be something, maybe an event occurs, an encounter occurs on the lightning rail that tells a little bit more of the story, you know, maybe something about the antagonist or something to that effect. Um, and it's not necessarily like, you know, mission critical that this is, you know, that this happens, but it just elaborates a little bit on the story or gives some background. Or maybe there's some really crucial clues and such that occur that uh, that the story is dependent on, you know, these things that occur, the people that they meet or the events, you know, events that happen. Well, um, and, and, you know, you can go full the other direction again, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, one of my standard go-to uh, starting a new campaign adventures uh, is mm-hmm. essentially strangers on an airship. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just have the characters. Uh, they are all on an airship, in this case, going to Stormreach. And airship gets hijacked. What do you do? And, you know, it's an easy way. You have all the players in one place. You can easily say, you know, this is die hard. There's no one else who can stop these guys. What are you going to do about it? Right. And the whole point is the adventure is the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it is a, a thing that causes people to work together. And of course, at the end, Hey, you're in Stormreach and now that's going to where that's where we'll start our, our scene, you know, but, but there's nothing wrong, especially with, uh, airships and lightning rails. Uh, you know, again, I've seen a number of, you know, murder on the Orient express, Oh yeah. uh, you know, style adventures where the point is essentially a lightning rail is a moving dungeon. You know, I mean, there's a lot of room for you to play out a story and you have the advantage that the players can't go anywhere. You know, when you're on an airship, there's no, the players suddenly decide to, you know, stop and open a lemonade stand. Um, so that's certainly something you can explore. I'm actually working on a, another adventure right now that's just basically set on an airship cruise. So there you are. Yeah. So uh, I do want to get back to teleport in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to touch mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. Um, using time as an element of the adventure. Because when you're traveling long distances, you can also play with the time that is spanning to, to you know, uh, while traveling across. Um Specifically, for example, like, you know, what what happens in the world, for example, while the party yes. is traveling? What are the antagonists doing during that time? You know, if time is the is of the essence, you know, how do you um you know, how do you how do you express that to players so that they're aware of like, wow, taking the lightning rail was a mistake, <laughs> you know? Well, and, and this is and this is sort of the point, is is that one of the things about the red line is the red line approach of just saying, uh, and and again, because this is an old reference at this point, mm-hmm. uh, when we say the red line, the, the point is, you know, it's, it's a, a common thing in, in Pulp Adventure, but notably the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, uh, where the adventurers will say, okay, let's go to Tibet. And then we will cut to a map of the world and just draw a red line from London to Tibet. And then boom, we're in Tibet. 
And so we have suggested that they have traveled, but we have not actually wasted any time on the travel itself. Right. The danger of doing that, of just saying, okay, kids, uh, you hop on a plane and you're in Tibet. You know, the first thing is uh, the players, if the whole idea is we have crossed the world, we have gone from uh, Karnath to Zendrik, that we have done this big thing, but if I just make it too quick, the players have no sense of the scope of that. It doesn't feel like they've done a big significant thing. Uh, so the one thing you can do is just really describe it. Don't just say, oh, hey, we're in we're in Zendrick now. You know, at least talk about it and say, okay, well, from Karnath, uh, you know, you have to, to take a boat across to, uh, you know, over to Stormhome. In the Stormhome, you catch the, the airship. You know, I mean, at least get into a couple details. Luckily, Bob has a friend in the, you know, you know uh, talk about it a little bit. So at least it feels like something happened. But also going back to the, the point you were making, is even if it only takes us 10 minutes or five minutes to describe what happened, it may be that it took the, the characters, in theory, two weeks to do this. And by the time they get back, taking it the other two weeks, like a month has passed. And part of that point is if they have a home base, if your adventures are usually in Sharn, what's happened in Sharn while you've been gone? Maybe Dask has killed Sidon Boromar. You know, I mean, like, just what is it? Think about, are there a couple interesting little significant things that you can drop in that give the players that sense of, oh, my goodness, you know, we were gone for one month and blah. Yeah, you like know, they, and, they come back and they pick up a copy of the Sharn Inquisitive and they see a headline, you know, saying... Boronel dead! Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and that is that is something that can let the players feel both like the world has you know, sort of life, but also it emphasizes that you were actually gone for a long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, things happen. Um, so it, it's just something to think about. I know a technique I've used in the past. I have the, uh, mm -hmm. I still have a laminated copy of the map that came with the uh, 3.5 GM screen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's laminated and I used to put that on the table and anytime that the, the, the party was traveling, I used to take a wet erase marker and I would like just talk through point by point all the, you know, if it was lightning rail, if it was, right. you know, airship. I think and, that's great. It just kind of, yeah, it, it conveys like you're, you're doing a lot of stops here and you're doing a lot of traveling and it's taking a good amount of time to get well, there. And, and, and that's exactly that point of, of what you want to get across is that it's not like you just take an airship from Fairhaven straight across to Stormreach with no stops in between. It's no, you're probably taking the air, you know, uh, from Fairhaven, you might be going to say Roat and then from Roat, mm -hmm. maybe you go to Sharn and then from Sharn, we're going, you know, and, and even just talking a little bit about each stop. Well, you stop in Roat and, you know, yeah, you're, you stay there for a night and you see this amazing, uh, there's Syrian refugees performing a traditional, you know, whatever in the, the square, you know, even if again, you just describe it in a minute, it's still going to have that sense of we're traveling, stuff is happening, you know, this right. is a long journey. Right. I will say that I often like to uh, take that one step further mm -hmm. uh, and do what I like to, to call a travel montage. And there's various systems uh, that do this. I think you've mentioned that this is something uh, Savage Worlds touches on. But it's basically when you have the sort of halfway model of – I don't just want to do the red line. I want them to feel so like I had an adventure 
where it was in my Kabara campaign. And the players are, are following, uh, they have someone with the mark of finding who's tracking down this particular rare kind of dragon shard. And the idea is they're taking this sort of two-day trek into the jungle. Mm-hmm. And what's important is getting into the jungle to where things will happen. But I want them to have the sense of we're going deep, you know, away from, uh, from our home base. Like this is, this is a significant, uh, track. I don't want to waste time on random encounters, frankly. Yeah. I, mean, I right. don't need them to fight a dinosaur. There's going to be more interesting things for them to fight further on. Um, But the idea of a travel montage is to just describe a couple of scenes and to give the players an interesting choice or two that can be resolved with a single decision or potentially a single uh, skill check uh, that nonetheless gives them a feeling that something significant happens. So I might say, you come to a raging river, hey, ranger, how are you going to get around that? Mm -hmm. And... You know, he just needs to come up with an idea. Is he going to try and, and you know, find somewhere where it can be forded? Are they going to try and knock down a tree? Or, you know, in that particular Kabara campaign, I had one bit where they they came upon a big open valley, essentially, and there was a sword tooth titan, you know, a, a Tyrannosaurus right. equivalent that was just roaming around. And it was basically... If you try and cross, they were like second level characters. You know, this thing, something that is a big threat that is clearly not something you can fight. So what are you going to do? You can just take the long way around and that's fine. But basically in this case, I had added in, this is a case where there's a certain amount of time pressure. Can you get to this place before this? So if your choice is take the long time, I'm just adding another four hours to your journey. Right. Um, but the point that I was saying there is come up with a little list of these are interesting things. There's a group of bandits. There's a river you have to cross. There's a dinosaur you have to av- avoid. Uh, but ideally have one of those for each character. And that I would say, well, Christian, uh, you know, you're actually really good at tracking, uh, you know, basically again, you know, what are you doing to try and help people find their way? Right. Uh, well, the rogue, you know, well, again, you run into a group of bandits. Do you think you can use your, your connections to talk your way past them? Or are you going to pay them money? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the players said, well, no, we want to fight them. Maybe I'd do it as a fight. More likely I'd say, oh, sure. You totally beat them, but I'm going to confiscate a healing surge from each of you. Uh, because basically you get a little heart in right. the process. Right. And the whole point is it's not worth wasting the hour of time it would do to take an actual fight and yet the players feel like along the way to our destination we dealt with a bunch of bandits we avoided a dinosaur and we crossed a big river it feels like they got a sense of what the area is like rather than me just saying hey travel through jungle for two days right you know yeah and uh, so you mentioned savage rolls earlier um there's uh, they had this as sort of a downloadable PDF, but now it's part of the new Adventure Edition core rules. And it was called Quick Encounters. Uh, originally, it was just quick combat. And the idea was just to kind of get through combat sequences pretty quickly. But now it applies to all types of encounters, social or otherwise. Um, and it was exactly that. It was like, you know, you've gone through this, you know, through these series of um, sort of tests or trials uh, through your journeys. Uh, might have been combat. You might have been ambushed by bandits. Um 
you know, or maybe there was some hazards along the way. And, you know, you take like a level of fatigue because you've been in the jungles for three days or That's a right. week. Or you take, you know, a, a, you're down one wound because you haven't fully healed just yet or, or whatever it might be. Um, and and I realize I said healing surges, which are a four, fourth edition concept. Fourth edition, yeah. What I meant were hit dice. Right. But that's exactly the sort of point of you can do that type of thing. Like say, again, it's not that you can't beat the bandits, but I'm going to hit you all with the level of fatigue when you reach your destination. By the time you right. reach your destination, you know, fatigue is a great option in, in fifth edition because it has so many levels. Uh, what I meant, of course, was hit dice. And, right. and I will often spend, make characters spend hit dice as a sort of currency for I did a bunch of effort right and and it's a it's a way to take something away that doesn't actually hurt them you know immediately when they get into a fight but it still carries that sense of my character is a little beat up right and maybe even some resources too like you know sure uh, you know you've, you've you've used up some arrows or you know whatever it might be yeah and that depends on what kind of resources the players have yeah. you know available and yeah. you can even do that and say you know uh i'm just gonna say all the spellcasters uh lose two levels worth of spell slots right you know it could be a, a second level it could be two first levels but you know essentially that point of the bandits there's no question you are going to beat them but we're just saying this is what it costs you to do it takes a toll takes you a know? little bit of a toll yeah um Coming back to me, you know, the basic point, as I said, is it is a combination of the what does this tell you about the area? You know, this is a chance to tell you four interesting things that you saw along the way. But also it's that chance to give each character a moment in the spotlight. What are they good at? Well, you know, the rogue has criminal connections and is good at at uh, making deals, but also sneaking. If he says, I'm going to try and sneak us past the bandits, you know, but it gives each character you know, okay, Ranger, you're a wilderness survival guy. Here's a wilderness survival challenge. How do you deal with it? It gives, you know, each character that, you know, sort of five seconds of, uh, we're all going to be famous for five, five minutes. Uh, and, and that's something that's just important to me is to Mm -hmm. feel like every player has a chance again, to make an interesting decision. Right. And, you know, you talked about the montage sort of sequence, um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Xanathar's guide, well, the DMG, but then also Xanathar's guide expands on or, rev- or revisited these rules mm-hmm. for downtime, uh, which I think is a really cool concept in that, you know, it is things like, you know, I want to train this skill or, you know, I want to craft this magic item, well, and, you know. And with downtime, I mean, the interesting thing with downtime is on the one hand, it can come between adventures mm-hmm. where you can say, uh, you know, okay, what happened? You know, hey, between the last adventure, a week has passed. Let's talk about that. Uh, but it's also something you could use in the middle of an adventure. Right. You know, you could be running the campaign and say like, oh, you're making these negotiations and um, then all's quiet for a week, you know, while we're waiting for that next thing to happen. The convergence isn't going to happen for a week. Right. So what do you guys do for a week in Sharn? And the downtime rules in Xanathar's, you know, have things like, oh, I'm going to gamble. I'm going to find a guy. I'm going to work on a magic item, you know. Um, and, and part of it is they have things like sell a magic item. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's sort of a fun way of saying, you know, Eberron, obviously, that's slightly different than other places. But it was that way of saying, let's take something that is not particularly an interesting scene to play out. But also, let's call out that it's not necessarily easy to find a buyer for a really expensive item. Right. 
right. you know, and that that is something that you're going to have to spend some time doing. But I think it could be fun. Like you're on a lightning rail. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you got this item that you know you've either crafted or found or whatever it is. And you're like, you know what? We could use a little bit of money. Let's see if anybody on this train <laughs> wants to well, buy this thing, right? But, you know, not you're not likely another, to succeed, but yeah, you know. And that's another personally perfectly interesting way to do things. Is just say you get on the lightning rail. The lightning rail is going to actually take three days to get you where you're going. Mm-hmm. What do you do in three days? You know, and again. You don't have to uh, – in, in my airship thing, that is a whole adventure that we play out. But you can also just say you're sitting on the airship, you know, on the, uh, the the lightning rail for three days. What are you going to do to pass the time? Right. You know, and it may be that the, the um, you know, the wizard's just like, oh, I'm perfectly happy to just sit here and read my spell book because it's fascinating. The fighter may, as you say, be like, well, can I find anyone on here who's, who's interested in gambling or who's interested in buying my magic sword or, you know, I mean – uh, presenting that as a question and just getting people to stop and think, what would you do to pass the time on a three-day, uh, you know, a three-day journey? Right, right. Uh, I do want yeah, to no. do a quick aside. Uh, yeah, go on. I was going to uh, say a quick aside that, that's just a funny, uh, a funny trivia mm-hmm. uh, fact is that my typical screen name that I use in most online things I do is uh, Hellcow or Hellcow Keith. right. And uh, where that actually comes from, I forget. Do you know where that comes from? I don't remember. So okay. where that actually comes from is the first thing I had uh, published for uh, a D20, you know, in this case, third edition, a D&D, was in a book called En Route by Atlas Games. They made three of these, En Route 1, 2, and 3. And what En Route was or is, is a collection of short, little, interesting interludes uh, that are just things you could encounter while you're traveling, just to make a journey more interesting. And one of the ones I wrote was called The Hell Cow. And it is essentially that you're you're traveling down a road, you know, on your way from, from X to Y, and you run into a... Uh, um, you know, a farmer essentially beating on a cow and and this old elderly farmer beating on his cow being like ah, stop it she's evil and then he has a heart attack and dies uh and and the cow's like you know just comes up to you and starts mooing and what do you do and the cow basically follows you around uh and then like eats your rations and kicks things into the fire nice. and and part of the point is it is this sort of anticlimactic after him freaking out about it as far as you can tell is just a cow but it is kind of a nuisance. What are you going to do? Uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, because I wrote this 20 years ago or something. Uh, you know, if you kill it, it basically is possessed by an, you know mischievous spirit that will then go into one of your other animals. Nice. So suddenly your horse is a pain in the ass or right. suddenly you're whatever. And basically you've got to figure out, like, how do we actually get rid of the spirit? Um, but that was part of the point is this could happen anywhere. It's, you know, anywhere you're doing land travel, it doesn't have to, to be tied to a particular sort of place or, or setting. Um, and, and on the on route books are just full of just things like that, that this is just an interesting thing that could happen in a tavern or that could happen on the road. Right. Um, right. and, and so that is the other sort of side thing of just, you know, you could just 
throw together a couple of interesting ideas of, of things that could happen as you're traveling the road through uh, on dare. Yeah. And, and um, you know, you mentioned earlier about like, you know, coming up with, with sort of like little things for each of the players um, you know, the, the classical traditional RPG thing for travel is often the random encounter. Um, and while those are fun and such, I think, I think too often sometimes GMs might try to roll those while running the game. Um, but if you're going to yep. do something like that, do it ahead of time so you can plan, prep, right. and customize it to suit the players and, and their characters. Um, and, and then you just keep a, you know, keep a short list of things that are ready to go. Uh, and then you're, you know, you're always prepared to have something. So, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into uh, how you know how players can think about travel um, in Eberron. You know, one of the things I I try to think of when I when I do get the opportunity to play in an Eberron game rather than run one, um, if transportation is going to be a thing or if, or if we have to get from place to place, I try to regard it as a tool, just like anything in the gear section of you know of the player's guide or, or whatever it might be player's handbook um you know i try to think of it like you know in my regular day-to-day life if i have to go run an errand i'm like do i take you know i live in atlanta do i take marta do i <laughs> call lyft or uber do i just drive my own car do i have to worry about parking etc and i think it can help for players to think of things the same way you know okay we got to go to row it do we just want to hop on a lightning rail do we want to you know take an airship and so on well and i think one of the challenges there is the question of why does it matter? That for me, that difference between am I going to take a lift, am I going to walk, or am I going to grab a scooter, uh, you know, is what's my time like? You right. know, how basically what's the balance of time versus money? Because that's right. really what we're talking about here is am I going to pay more for the journey to be faster? And one of the the dangers is that to a player character, there's often no clarity of, of what is there. Why is there urgency? Why would I spend more to take the, the sky coach in Sharn instead of just walking? Right. It would it would obviously and, help if the GM can convey that in advance. Right. So you can use that as part of your decision making uh, process. And and so that's the point. Uh, as a a game master. Uh, are you presenting the players? You know, again, to me, good role playing is always about presenting the players with interesting decisions. Right. And the question is, what makes this an interesting decision for them? Because it is a fun idea of, of you take a place like Sharn and you do have the, am I just going to walk? Am I going to take a sky coach? Am mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, thinking about sort of different, uh, different options, but as a game master, you got to think about what is it that makes that choice meaningful. Right. And it's not to say that it should be meaningful all the time. No, you certainly know, not. But if a, it's not meaningful, you don't necessarily need to make it a choice. No, no. You know, that's not. the point. If it's not meaningful, I can just say, oh, you know, it takes an hour and you get to get to wherever instead of saying, how are you getting to wherever? Right. right. Yeah. Just hand wave it, move along, get the adventure going. And, Another yeah, minor think, yeah. thing that I just want to throw on. You're going. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, another minor thing I'd throw into this thing is I talked about the montage as me presenting the players with this is your challenge, do something. Mm-hmm. But shifting to the the more player side, I uh, just thinking just recently of, of you know, when I had uh, the players in my Shrine campaign 
going from Kalistan to the university district. Uh, one of the things I did is that uh, they had to take a lift. And by, of course, lift, I mean L-I-F. Um, so they're <laughs> taking a lift and I just said, uh, you know, I, I don't remember if I picked one of the players or if I had them each pick some, but I think I probably just picked one of them and, and just said, tell me about someone interesting you see on the lift. And, you know, he was like, oh, he's a college student, you know, and I think I did. I actually asked each of them. I said, each tell me someone because I think someone was like, oh, and that's the other guy's kid brother. And, you know, ooh, this, you know, someone was like, oh, then there's this guy who's like holding a package and looks shifty. And uh, the point is, we could have just left it as that. But even that just means they thought about it. They created that scene in their mind of who might you meet on the lift? Right. Uh, or as I said, uh, you know, in this particular case, I probably picked one of them and said, okay, let's, let's play that up for a moment. Let's talk about that shifty guy on the lift. Um, but that was back to, instead of me just telling them, it was stop and think about what kind of people might you see on a lift in Sharn and any way that you can engage the players, you know, makes that more, they're painting the scene in their mind instead of them just listening to me and potentially having the words slide by. And, uh, you know, what's kind of cool about that is you can use those creations of the care of the players. Um, oh yeah. To, you know, for example, maybe they're an innocent bystander during an encounter, mm -hmm. you know, or mm -hmm. something to that effect. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, about to be accidentally pushed off the edge of the lift or at the edge of, of a tower uh, balcony or something to that effect. Um, yeah, and I can't remember. I don't think in that particular instance I did, but I might. I might very easily have then had you know a sudden fight break out, and the point is, well, you've just given me four innocent people, right? Uh, and even if I hadn't planned it, well, you just told me there was a shifty-looking guy with a mysterious package. Well, what if it is an emerald claw guy with some skeletons in a bag of holding? Mm -hmm. You know, I could have that happen. That could be fun. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, anytime I do this sort of thing. You know, this is the point is you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to basically say all four of those people are suddenly going to become major NPCs. But I'm certainly making notes of any of them that seemed really interesting. Right. And having them turn up again later is the, I, I need a student. Well, what do you know? He's that guy, that scrawny guy you met on the, the lift. Uh, you know, makes just again, makes the players feel more engaged. Right. Invested even. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, basically they're going to care more about does uh, this, this, you know, the, the scrawny uh, arcane studies nerd, does he live or die? Well, it's going to be more, more compelling. So at least one of the characters, uh, players is the person who made that guy up. And so naturally they're going to want, probably want to try and save him, right, you know? Right. So. And, you know, we did talk about downtime while traveling on, on the GM side and on the player side. I think there's, you know, I, I've actually seen people I've played with even in non Eberron settings do things like this where mm -hmm. maybe they're part of a caravan and the cleric is like, Hey, I'm going to provide religious services, you know? And, um, and I think that's a really fun example of like the caravan thing of, of basically saying, how are you going to help out? Right. Because I think that's a perfect example of as a cleric, even if you just say, Oh, the captain asks you to do this, you know, of as a cleric, you are actually so, you know, a, a figure of religious significance, you know, and that if you're a cleric of the sovereign host or the silver flame, there's undoubtedly other people in this caravan or on this ship that share your faith. Right. That, that might ask you 
for, you know, even if it's just casual, uh, you know, a casual blessing or will you give a service, you know, and, and that's again, a way that's fun to sort of make players realize that, oh, my character is more than just a combat machine. You know, this, this has meaning in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it I think it helps to, um, root their role in the world beyond just being an adventurer like that they have mm-hmm, a significant mm-hmm. importance in society uh as well and and I, and I think that's it's it's important i think for players to to remember something like that every now and then mm-hmm. that they're not just removed from you know the events and the cultures and so on and and even if you're just my character's just a fighter you know well it's still okay but where did i learn my skills you know if i was a soldier in the last war uh and i fought for thrain are there any carns on the the train right are we gonna gonna you know are they giving me the the hairy eyeball or whatever you know i mean basically uh eberron has so many little hooks for that can make any character you know you're not just a fighter you know you're a wreck and mark graduate or you're a uh denise blade mark or whatever that i can find something to do with that yeah you know, uh, and and again, interesting decisions is the key to me is, you know, you see those uh, those Karns, uh, you know, making fun of you or uh, talking about, uh, you know, some critical battle where they, they stomped on Thrain. Do you just ignore it or are you going to stick up for your nation? Right. You know, and even touching on, you know, beyond class, looking at race, you know, as a changeling, sure. for example, are you in your natural form or are you taking on a persona or are you, are you switching personas, you know, throughout the journey? Um, if you're a warforged, you know, how do you feel among others, you know? Uh, and, and I'll note that, that this also comes to in 5e in particular backgrounds mm-hmm. is another example of it's the same thing of if you're an entertainer and you're on uh, the, the lightning rail for three days, hey, going to do a performance? You know, right. uh, you know, there's there's five uh, E characters are a little more rounded in in the kind of things you know they skills they possess, and that's certainly something to explore. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, whether you're using a system that actually has hard rules for these things or not, I mean, you could just do these things without any rules in place. It's really just sort of collaborative storytelling in a lot of regards. Mm-hmm. There's, it doesn't have sure. to be a hard, you know, mechanical ruling uh, to do some of these things. Um, yeah. And and when I talked about the montage, you know, that's the point to me is in some cases it might not take a, a role or anything like that, depending what the thing is. But, but it's back to present them with an interesting choice mm-hmm. and then if necessary, come up with a mechanical way right. to – to resolve it, but it's not always necessary. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think we touched on everything for this topic. We've come to the end of our journey. Yes. We've come to the end of our journey. Well said, well said, (laughs) this is why they pay you the big bucks to do all the writing. (laughs) All right. Well, I mean, I I think the, the point that I just, you know, there's two things I just like to, to sum up with, you know, the one is again, I am personally in that opinion where I don't, obsessed too much about what exactly is the speed of the lightning rail and what exactly is the path that it takes uh in that sense of of we said early on things move at the speed of plot right and so what i'm saying is i'll just say i've decided this journey is going to take a week 
and you know, I'm coming to that decision because that's what I want the journey to take. I don't need to actually pull out the maps and do, you know, all the calculations to make sure that that is right. Now I can say the journey is going to take a week if you do it on the lightning rail or three days if you do it on an airship, you know, and again, now I'm presenting the players with a choice. But all I'm saying is, is, you know, all the tables and things like that, you know, those are great guidelines, but don't feel that you have to spend an hour doing all the mathematical charts. You can just decide that this, this time it's going to take a week Absolutely. to get across the thunder sea and that's fine yeah and you know again if you have the explorer's guide or explorer's handbook you know that does give you lots of tables and things to work with and that's great but i'm saying if you don't that's okay too no absolutely you know, just I, make make exclamations I, I think i think the theme throughout all of this is that trans travel and transportation in eberron is really more of a narrative tool than mm-hmm. than anything else um and I, and I think that's the important yeah, thing to, to keep Yeah, I think in that's mind. definitely the, the way to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that. All right. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, and find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, also, real quick, recently Google announced the decommissioning of Google+. Plus, So uh, I did go ahead and create a new page over on MeWe, which is where a lot of uh, RPG people are kind of moving to. I don't know if that'll take off or not, but check it out. We'll see if there's some activity there or not. Uh, but whatever options you prefer, uh, let us know what you think of the show. And uh, join us next time when we talk about adding a uh, healthy dose of... Actually, no. We changed this. I'm sorry. We changed we are, it. Everything changes. Change so uh, originally, we were thinking about talking about swashbuckling. But Keith, you had the excellent idea uh, of uh, transitioning to another plane. And so, yeah, we wanted to talk, planes. you know, we've... we've, we've <laughs> Exactly. We've talked about uh, we've talked about travel now, and so talking about again some of the more exotic locations would be the planes. Yeah. And so we want to talk a little bit about the planes. Of course, in talking about planes, you can be sure that we will talk about manifest zones. Yes. Yes, indeed. So it all finally comes full circle. Indeed. And uh, I I know I'm looking forward to it because uh, planar travel is something that has not been deeply explored yet in Eberron, at least in any official source book. So uh, so I'm, I'm eager to delve into that topic some. All right. Well, uh, until next time, keep exploring.